Good morning. A little difficult to come after that beginning. If it was all about me, which it's not. We come to the word of God today. And nothing takes second place to that. A brief logistical comment. Um, as you know, those of that are normally a part of this body here, we are working our way through the book of Philippians. We will come back to that and finish that book in three weeks from today. Obviously, today is focused upon families and the next generation, if you see in your bulletin. Rightfully so, being Mother's Day and dedicating these families to the Lord. But I will make a slight plug for what's coming in the next two weeks, which I'm very excited and been preparing for that too as well, without taking from what we need to examine in God's Word here today. And that is a small topical series that we will do on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason for that. It fits perfectly within even the calendar. Two Sundays from today will be Pentecost Sunday and the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. Next week, I will teach briefly on the abuse of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and why we hold to the doctrinal statement that we do here at Miriam Christian Chapel concerning specifically signs and wonders types gifts that some adhere to. But I would never want to leave it just on a note concerning what the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is not but on what it is, and what a beautiful day to do that on Pentecost Sunday, but to speak to the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells believers. So that's what's coming in the next couple weeks. As for today, though, as we have seen, our focus is all about the next generation. What a joy and privilege it is to celebrate our children and confirm a commitment to the next generation. Psalm 127 verse 3 proclaims that children are a gift of the Lord. The next verse says that they are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Love that verse. With that said, how are we doing universally, body of Christ-wise? At least on the surface, doesn't look too good. The LGBTQ plus movement continues to gain mainstream approval. The murder of innocent children is looked at as a right within the womb of a mother. The attacks on the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture continue to come. It's almost as if that authority, never let it be that the case here, but in many circles is becoming a dinosaur, if you will, on the altar of seeker-sensitive, tolerant messages. That will never be the case here. And we pray that that would be the case for future generations. The true and right idea of biblical equality is being challenged with the false religion of critical social justice. 
On the surface, once again, it seems as though we're losing. Why is that? I will be the first to acknowledge. Those of you that have had a chance to to get to know me over these past eight months, that God is completely sovereign. And nothing is a surprise to him. And nothing is outside of his divine control. However, here at Miriam Christian Chapel, that will never serve as an excuse for us to neglect our human responsibility. Two tensions within Scripture that our finite human minds perhaps can't understand. And you know what? I'm okay with that. We serve a mighty God in many respects far beyond our comprehension. If the next generation is a gift of the Lord and hopefully arrows in this darkness, why does it look as though we're losing the battle? Could it be our lack of focus for far too long, for many generations, training and equipping that next generation? One thing's for certain. Those of us that are in Christ, we know ultimately we win. Our crucified Savior is coming back as a king who will reign on his throne. Mm. However, hopefully each of us in this room, along with these families that stood up here today, are committed to the first call of Philippians, which says that we are to live as Christ. Not only to die is gain. We live with an eternal perspective. Yes, we do. We understand that we are nothing more than strangers and exiles in a foreign land. And we look forward to that day of glorification where we will no longer struggle with sin. But for now, as we are here, we live for Christ with all of our strength, all of our might. Following the great generation of Joshua, what do we see in the history of the book of Judges? But much pain, much suffering, much sin, much judgment. Why is that? Listen to the words of Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Following the death of the great Joshua generation. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. Sounds strikingly similar to even our situation here today. 
several generations that seemingly do not know the Lord or the things that he has done? G.K. Chesterton stated, and I quote, People who make history know nothing about history. You can see that in the sort of history they make. <laughs> see that clearly on display even here today in the culture that we live in. In some respects, this is disheartening, discouraging. That being said, as we've discussed the past two weeks out of the book of Philippians, do not be anxious. Don't fret. Our task is difficult. But the Lord will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. He calls us to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. My objective for us here today is to be renewed and strengthened in our commitment to the next generation. The title for this message is The Prayer of a Parent. But at the end of the day, we all have a role to play. Even if you are not a parent here today, from the youngest to the oldest, perhaps it's even your siblings. If you are in Christ, do you desire to be a disciple maker? This has always been the case for God's people. In much of the beginning chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses spent substantial time outlining their commitments, their conditions for the nation of Israel when it came to occupying the promised land. In our message this morning, we will briefly examine one of the most monumental passages all of De Old Testament Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This passage along with Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41, still to this day is committed to memory by many Orthodox Jews and recited daily, twice in their prayers. Moses originally gave this instruction to the nation of Israel concerning their commitment to themselves first and also to the next generation. Nevertheless, the principles still apply even for us here today. We will look at four separate commitments and seek to answer the question, what is our responsibility to the next generation. Would you stand please. As we read this passage. From God's word. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 9. Hear O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. Our first commitment is to know God with your mind. You'll notice in the first two verses there, verses 4 through 6, the focus is upon oneself. This is a critical component to us when we consider what's our responsibility to the next generation. How are we to equip the next generation if we are not equipping ourselves? In verse 4, the focus is upon what we know intellectually or in our mind, if you will. Now, you'll very rarely, if ever, hear me use Greek or Hebrew words from the pulpit. However, at times, this can be appropriate. This is one of these times. Three Hebrew words within verse 4 have become, and through verse 5, have become widely used and provide some extra insight for us here today. The first word, the first word of verse 4, hear. This word in the Hebrew is Shema. It has become very well known, not just for the word itself, but for the overall prayer that we alluded to in the introduction. From this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and Numbers 15. Commonly within Orthodox Judaism, the Shema is these three passages of prayers that Jews will commit to memory then this verse is actually used as a command. It carries the idea of not just hearing, but obedience as well. So what were they to hear and obey in their mind? The verse says, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. This is where we see the other two common Hebrew words. I reference three. Any time that you see within the Old Testament the word Lord in all caps, this is specifically referring to the covenant-keeping name of our Lord Yahweh. Very important for us to understand that as we think about the idea of a covenant. This is the name that speaks directly to that, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Moreover, this word God here is translated from, and many of you have probably heard it, the Hebrew word Elohim. This is important for us to understand as well, because in the Hebrew, Elohim is actually plural in number or collective unity. What's the point? Why is this important for us in our lives here? As we think about what our responsibility is to the next generation, combine these words with the phrase, the Lord is one, along with the context of the ancient Near East culture, and the picture becomes to take shape. 
The idea that the Lord is one is certainly one of the grandest statements of monotheism, one God in all of Scripture. Not to mention, it's given in the midst of a very polytheistic, multiple gods, ancient Near East culture. And one other tidbit, that when we think of progressive revelation and the beauty of what we have in the entirety of Scripture, the use of one can also communicate a meaning of being united as persons. And what's the point? Why is this helpful for us? Through that progressive revelation, through the entirety of Scripture that we even have here today, we can see more clearly who God indeed is. One in being, yet three in separate persons. The doctrine of the Trinity. Just as I spoke concerning the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man, tension arises, but yet we see clearly this is the truth, that God is one yet separate in persons. We, as well as the original audience, would have fully understood and appreciated the significance of this word Yahweh when it comes to a covenant. A tie that equips us to persevere when faced with opposition. A tie that keeps us as unseparable. Moreover, by way of application and how we might consider our responsibility to the next generation, would we be committed to pursue who the Lord is in the same way that Moses instructed the nation of Israel to understand. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. Who is he? Is that our desire to pursue him, to know him in our mind? In the middle of a pagan culture, the charge to Israel would, of course, been difficult to obey, not just hear who Yahweh is. Much in the same manner that our commitment often counteracts the culture that we live in. The truth that God is one, yet separate in persons. The truth that God is love yet righteous, that God is forgiving, yet at the same time, holy. Much of the decay of ancient Near East culture was attributed to the lack of commitment by the nation of Israel to biblical commands. We see this near the end of Deuteronomy. Moses said the following in chapter 28, verse 15, he said, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today <clears throat> that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Once again, this was written to the nation of Israel. 
So do we not feel as though there's many curses even upon us today? As for us, are we perhaps reaping the consequences of multiple generations, neglecting the priority to know who God is? Do we up and just await the judgment of God on this perverse and wicked generation? Let it never be said of us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Immerse yourself into understanding who the Lord is. Make it a priority to know Him. As we talked about in Philippians, to know that surpassing value of knowing Him as Lord. If the Lord tarries concerning the rapture of His church, there are still many generations to come that need this from you and me. Before we move to the second commitment, listen to the preceding context of our passage as it provides a perfect point of final application on this first point, first commitment to know God with your mind. Deuteronomy 6.2. Moses says the following, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. That they might fear the Lord. As we consider equipping ourselves to pour into the next generation, would we desire that our children, that the next generation that we have access to, fears the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do we desire that? Is that our commitment? Amen. Our second commitment, found in verses 5 and 6, look there, is to know God with your heart, not just your mind. 5 and 6 read, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and we talked about the difference between learning righteousness, not just in your mind, but in your heart. And how that in turn motivates us to practice righteousness. Of course we desire that for the next generation. That they might be found practicing righteousness. In verses 5 and 6, the command begins this transition from the mind to the heart. A commitment that does not simply reflect a head knowledge, but an unreserved devotion to the Lord that flows forth from the heart. A special type of love. And this word love in the Hebrew communicates a great relational affection. Moreover, the idea of all of your heart 
and soul and strength encapsulates the entire being of one's person, not just the mind. Jesus himself quoted from the Shema when he stated that this was the greatest commandment we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Allow me to offer an illustration for clarification. Most of us have been in this circumstances, but how often have we asked a child to verbally acknowledge their wrongdoing? Johnny, apologize to your sister. For Johnny, there's an intellectual understanding of the wrong. He's willing to accept the instruction because he fears the consequences. However, does Johnny fully understand the sin from his heart? Is he motivated to make it right because of an unreserved devotion to the Lord? Knowing the Lord in the heart is not about legalism, but a desire to follow him because of a great relational love and affection for him. As we consider how we might know God in our heart and in turn equip the next generation, let me offer you another example. Does the next generation see in you a relationship with God that is more of a duty or a delight? Do we attend church on a consistent, regular basis out of duty or a delight to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, to hear from God's word, to give of our lives an unreserved devotion to God? Do we pray over our meals as a simple duty or a delight concerning the lifestyle of communication and prayer? Do we read scripture out of a duty, a delight to know him more and his precious word? The next generation is watching closely. In verse 6, within this passage, we actually see the first use of a specific type of verb in the Hebrew. Within the Hebrew language, there can be different meanings that are conveyed with a greater level of intensity depending on the type of verb that is being used. For example, if you were defining the same word on one concept as to break, when the intensity of the Hebrew verb stem is used, that same word can mean to smack. Why is that important? The commanding that we see here in verse 6 is exactly that. It communicates a greater level of intensity in our commitment for the nation of Israel, for them and themselves and their commitment. We referenced the greatest commandment that Jesus spoke of 
If we love the Lord with all of our heart and mind and unreserved devotion to Him, then are we committed to even Matthew 28, chapter 19, or 28, verses 19 and 20 in the Great Commission? If we are loving the Lord with all of our heart and mind and truly committed to making disciples, when it comes to that tax, perhaps there's no greater opportunity to make disciples than the next generation that has been placed around you. Of course you will hear me. We need to walk out these doors and seek to make disciples of the lost. Let that always be a focus for us. But what about the next generation that sits even here within this church? That sits in your own home? I speak to myself included. And of course, when it comes to an intense type of desire to do so, this at times can turn into a, real, a ritualistic legalism, if you will. In some respects, we see this on display when it comes to Orthodox Jews today. However, we can certainly learn something from the intensity of this commitment that was originally penned for the original audience. If we care about the next generation, and I know we do, then we must be first committed to knowing God in our own mind and in our own heart. Only then will we be properly prepared for the next two commitments. The third is to teach the next generation in their mind. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. I've referenced in the past coaching and training environments. Many of us, even if we are not involved in sports type environments that pertain to coaching and training, we've experienced this type of commitment on some level. For me, for me, I personally love to train with intensity, with repetition. In all reality, though, that intense repetition is better received when the student, when the next generation, when the child that you have influence over knows that you care that you truly love them. This is exactly what this verb, teach them diligently, communicates. This is another example of that Hebrew verb stem which conveys this sense of intensity. The word also carries the idea of repetition. This is why the translators chose the word diligently. Are we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, concerned with diligently, with intensity and repetition, teaching the next generation to teach them who God is 
to remind them of all that he had done. The late Pastor Warren Wearsby stated, and I quote, When our children are ignorant of the past, they will have no hope for the future. Powerful. So, I've spoken several times about the significance of this for the nation of Israel. And yes, principles still apply for us here today. What about the church age? What about the New Testament? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. For several times, we've addressed the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. As a reminder from last week, If we help them, the next generation, to dwell on righteousness in their mind, learn righteousness through experience, and in their heart, they will in turn be better equipped to practice righteousness. Moses goes on to say, talk of them when you sit, walk, lie down, and rise up. Two elements here to touch upon before we move to our final commitment. First, intensity once again is on display here. In the same manner that it was with teach, that same type of intensity is used for the the verb to talk. Teaching needs to be more than living by example. It must involve actual verbal communication The idea here is that specific words about who God is and what He has done will always be a part of a strong commitment to teaching the next generation. What does that look like? For each of that, us, that could be different. Whether that is consistent family devotions or child catechisms or conversations that get past the surface to speak to deep spiritual truths concerning who God is and what He has done. Would that be our desire? And by the way, I've mentioned it several times concerning the importance of this, not just for our families that were up here today, or those of you who have children in your home, but for each and every one of us. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen 
and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Grandparents, speaking to myself there as well. The second element of the back half of verse 7 pertains to this list of when this should be done. The terms of sitting, walking, lying, and rising, all in essence, communicate anytime and anywhere is our commitment when it comes to the next generation. Now let me encourage you again, this is not some type of legalistic commitment. When you hear terms like anytime and anywhere, every moment of the day is impossible for each and every one of us. But it still is a lifestyle that is devoted and committed to God through our actions and our words to this next generation. So, let's review. Three commitments. It begins with ourselves to know God in our mind. To know God with our heart. And then the third commitment, to teach the next generation in their mind. And as we turn to our fourth and final commitment, many of you are probably know where I'm going. But that is to teach the next generation, not just in their mind, but in their heart. Look at verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In order to properly understand verse 8, I need to give a little bit of cultural context. Keep your place here in Deuteronomy and turn back to Exodus chapter 13. Verses 14 through 16. And it shall be when your son asks you in a time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him with a powerful hand, The Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead. For with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Egypt. Turning back to Deuteronomy 6. Now, it's hard to say concretely whether this original command was meant from a metaphorical perspective, speaking to commitment, or a literal perspective. Either way, there's no doubting that the overall emphasis is not simply upon intellectual acknowledgement, but a lifestyle of remembrance and teaching. Orthodox Jews have long taken 
this as literal. And they use these phylacteries or symbolic ornaments as a way to take verses from the Shema, place them within these ornaments as a reminder. There's nothing inherently wrong with physical reminders. Our Lord has given us two of the most incredible reminders in the Passover as well as the ordinance of communion. However, we must be on guard against these signs becoming nothing more than prideful virtue signaling. As if, look at me. Look at who I am. I have recited these verses and I am equipped. Jesus addressed this very fact in Matthew chapter 23. When he said, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that I tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels of their garments. How about another quote from Warren Wearsby? It's much easier to wear a gold cross on our person than to bear cross, Christ's cross in our daily life. To hang scripture text on the wall of our homes than to hide God's word in our hearts. By all means, wear your cross. Put those scriptures on the wall. But it is, is, is it in our hearts? And the next generation is watching. Will we teach them by way of example? Through our words and our actions, which will certainly appeal to their hearts. And then finally in verse 9, I love this final charge. Whether it is metaphorical or literal, there's power within it. We read, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. If we take this principle and apply it, there is a major commitment for us here when it comes to the next generation. I would sum it up in two New Testament passages. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Or our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 10 verse 32 through 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. We began with Psalm 127.4. 
and this hope that our children, the next generation, might be like arrows in the hand of a warrior. In John chapter 15, verse 20, we are reminded as slaves of Christ that those arrows, as well as us, will face persecution. No parent or grandparent desires persecution for the next generation. But if they truly follow Christ, division will occur. Are we committed to diligently teach them in their mind as well as their heart in order that they might be more equipped for the battle to come? The next generation that sees mind and heart devotion and learns mind and heart devotion will be better equipped to stand for truth. Better equipped to speak with truth and love to the vices that we discussed in the introduction. To stand against with truth and love the LGBTQ plus movement, pro-abortion proponents, critical social justice, or the attack on the authority of Scripture, or any other lofty speculation raised against the knowledge of God. In my estimation, previous generations before us have failed in this commitment. And in some respects, this has contributed to the worldwide culture that we see with no fear of God. However, let us commit today in the same manner that these families did, that by God's grace, we would never be found wavering in our commitment to the next generation. It's my prayer for us all that this day will not only serve as a special day of commitment to these children and these families, but a special day of renewal and commitment for each and every one of us when it comes to our responsibility to the next generation. Will you join me in that commitment? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we hear your word, first spoken within our text today to the nation of Israel, but, oh God, we feel the weight of that commitment even for us here within your church age. Lord, help us to be disciple makers. Lord, help us to be disciples ourselves. Help us, Lord, not just to place Scripture text on a wall, but to hide them deep within the recesses of our heart in order that we might dwell on righteousness, learn righteousness, and practice righteousness, to know who you are, to speak of what you have done, to teach in the mind and in the heart 
this gift of a next generation that you have given to us. We all have a role to play, dear Lord. Help us in that commitment. We fall short at times, but by your grace and your strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can persevere and we can live a lifestyle committed to you and to others for your glory. In Jesus' name.